Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by a friend in Rome. And Enrico Maria Riva, you're joining me again. And I have to say, it's very convenient for you that the Italian Open is located so close to the Vatican, because after this, you're going to go be sainted for coming back on the show one day later and re-recording after technical difficulties yesterday. So thank you for being a repeat guest on NCR consecutive days, even if people will only ever hear one of the one of our attempts at this. Ciao, Ben. No worries. It's, it's a pleasure to be on, on your show. So you are working at the Italian Open for a, a company contracting for ATP Media. Can you just explain what your role is, what you do there, and uh, working as a, a graphic opera- graphics operator for the TV broadcast, yes. what that entails? Yes, I work for uh, Delta Thread. Delta Thread is the company that is, has the contract for the graphics for the ATP. And uh, the ATP Media uh, team is on site in all the Master 1000 and uh, this is the first one of the year uh, after Cincinnati they managed to produce and um, and I'm here as a graphic operator so I'm in charge of all the graphics that go on screen during a match, so the match score uh, the bug, uh, the main supers, the stats at the end of the sets, the, the pop-up stats that appear on top of the bug uh, uh, and I'm also in direct contact with the tennis TV commentators mm. that are located in London at the moment and uh, I provide them uh, insight uh, during the match or uh, background stories or uh, I give them input that they might or might not use during the match uh, according to what they think is relevant or not. Yeah, so so when when the commentators are talking about something in a match and then it comes up in the on the graphics or vice versa, that's not a coincidence, that's part of a cooperation between uh, well, both sides yes we, we listen to their commentary so when if they are talking about the impact of a forehand of a player we try to follow their lead and provide them data to back up their uh, their story uh, at the same time we might notice things that they didn't notice because they are you know busy doing the commentary mm-hmm. and uh, so we put data on screen or we even uh, talk to them in the intercom saying listen we have this data we think it's relevant do you want to have it on screen and talk about it. Yeah. And so so now you have this first tournament back for you. The commentators are usually on site in Rome at Masters events, or I think even 500 events they are on site for ATP, I believe, most of the time. Uh, but there's a lot of... Mm, non- they used to be, but okay. no, they used to be for 500. Uh, only Dubai now is on site. Okay. Every, everyone else is uh, from London. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the first event, uh, the second event for the for Tennis TV as a master event that uh, have uh, half of the crew that is not on site. After uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, they decided, uh, you know, to, to keep social distances uh, uh, effective. Uh, half of the people would have to work uh, from London. So um, I give you a, a small structure uh, of a, a quick structure of how it works in Tennis TV. Yeah. So we have. Um, cabin for each main court. We have three courts here in Rome. We have uh, Centrale, Pietrangeli and Grandstand. Uh, each court have, has its own cabin with a director, uh, a visual mixer, uh, a graphic operator and a logger. The director is in charge of all the cameras. Uh, the visual mixer is in charge of all the transition between a camera and another and, between, and, and of all the replay transitions.
graphic operators is in charge of the graphical statistics and the logger is the person in charge of logging every single last shot of a point during a rally mm. to build up statistics for the match. Last shot of the rally, people who, we haven't really talked about this that much on NCR, at least recently. So last shot of the, except for yesterday when we recorded this also. <laughs> so so uh, last shot of a rally, every point ends in either a winner, a forced error, or an unforced error. And I'm guessing you've done this yes. job probably at some point, and we have other people who do this job as well. What, what are those sort of guidelines for what constitutes uh, the difference between a, a forced error and an, and an unforced error for people you might not know. Yeah, w w one of the things that people notice is that th there is not 100% consistency between unforced in every tournament, and that's why we, that's because we don't have the same loggers in every event. And uh, the guideline that we try to give them is that uh, if the player is leading the rally and is uh, uh, you know, pushing the other player uh, at the back of the ground, uh, at the back of the court, uh, and he misses the shot, that's an unforced error. On the other hand, if, if you are uh, trying to defend and you lose the point because of an error, that would be a force. Uh, then we give them some guidelines regarding serve, because if you place Isner or Karlovic, even the second serve may end up being a force return error. Right. If you play Schwarzman, uh, maybe the second serve is not that big and it's a little bit your fault if you miss it. Uh, we also try, you know, i give you an example. If, if, if a player charges to the net and goes to play a volley and he misses it, it's an unforced error because he decided to go to the net. Oh, if it's called to the net by the other player and he misses the volley, it's an unforced even if the folly is easy because he was forced to play that shot. Hmm. That's the, the, the guideline we use. That's interesting, yeah. So I guess it can be situational even what the shots before this shot were, not just each individual shot on its own. Huh. Okay. Yeah, and, and the logger uh, has to describe the last shot of every point. So if the point ends for end that goes wide, even if it was the most amazing rally you could imagine, that would be a, a, an error. So the point will end with an error. Right, now that happens a lot sometimes in matches. Certainly a match like... I'm trying to think of an example of this. Like, like Team Medvedev, right? They were playing yes. a lot of yes. good a good rallies, and they would often end in unforced errors, and so maybe the unforced error count was made the match look worse than it was, because if it's often happening you know, on the 16th point shot of the rally or something like that, or the, there's been plenty of good tennis before the error. That's another thing we consider, yeah. though, then. Yeah. If uh, a rally goes too long, we never give an enforce because we assume that two, two players are tired and even if it's an easy shot we take in consideration the effort they put during the rally. So if it's like a 40 rally shots we never give an enforce even sure. if it's an easy shot. 40 definitely yeah that makes sense for sure. So what what has it been like for you in terms of just getting back to work for everybody? I mean obviously you know we, we talk about this on the show in regards to the sort of media we do in journalism that we've been out of work for many months. There's a lot of people in in TV production side of tennis who've been out of work for a long time. What is, I guess, what is the atmosphere like for everyone coming back? And I'm guessing people are grateful to be, have tennis to work at again. Oh, definitely. This is my first event since February and I've been out yeah. of work for six months. So it, it, it has been a tough time. There are some of us that have to go through the COVID protocol, like the cameramen, they, they, they are the most important guys on, on tour, television-wise. They are always, you know, 
uh, on court, uh, they have the hardest day of all, and they have to make the test every four days to make sure they don't contract the virus. That doesn't apply to us involved in the cabin job because we don't leave our cabins and we, uh, but everyone is happy to be back on court, uh, to be back on, on tour. Uh, you would have had people grumpy every now and then because matches uh, go too long, because days are long, because we start at 9 a.m. and we may end up finish at 2 a.m. You know, you know better than me, you have been on tour yeah. for ages now. And uh, so every now and then the last match is, you know, a lot of people whining and grumpy because they want to go home, because they are tired. Here, I, I never heard anyone complaining. I mean, everyone is so happy to be back on, on their job. And even if it's like a 7-6 or, or in the third in all matches, we will be happy. Yeah, good. What has the atmosphere been like at the at the Foro Italico uh, this week? And I've been there, it's got six years in a row before this year. Uh, there's there's very little media in terms of print media, I think, on site actually, and I don't there wouldn't really be any access anyway. So there's not much point. But what what is the atmosphere like there? I think of Rome as being such a, a loud, vibrant tournament. The crowd, you know, everyone mingling all around, moving all around all the time. Big crowds of people getting food and everything. Anyone who's been there will know it's a the crowd makes a big impression in Rome. So what is it what is it like having it be empty at the Four Hotel? I think it would be one of the most surreal places to have an empty tournament at. It is, it is. There are, there are two senses that are most affected by the tournament being empty. One is obviously the, the years, because Rome is one of the most chaotic and noisy tournaments you have on tour, probably yeah. second only to a US Open. And then it's, here is that silent, even during uh, uh, the, the, the trainings uh, of the player, you hardly hear anyone speaking, you hardly hear any noise. Uh, most of the time, the noises come from the roads that are near the venue, so you mm. hear the cars and the trucks, which is uh, uh, unheard of in this tournament. You never hear yeah. outside noise. And, and, and the other sense that is affected is the smell, because Rome is the, the, the tournament with the highest cigarette uh, consumption <laughs> uh, on tour, I guess. Yeah. And that's the smell that disappeared. Now the air is fresh. It's, pr- it's quite pleasant, to be honest. It, it was a, a mecca for uh, the ball boys. See the ball boys rushing from a court to another and watch the match sitting down like they are not you know, allowed to do it normally. For them, being kids uh, is, uh, is a bless. They are uh, next to their idols. They can watch all the matches. They are, they are living a dream. And like in New York, too, you see the players watching each other also. I was just watching the match right before we recorded today. Berrettini and Rude, and at least for part of it, Djokovic was there watching before his match. So, I mean, you, you, know, you, would, never see, you would never see that normally. At, at a no, no, no. That would be impossible. Too, too many reasons. Now, for the players, it's like, you know, during the, the lockdown, you know, in every country, there were animals going back to town, here, walking in streets. And it's the same here for players. They have free access to everywhere. They train and exercise on the, uh, the little grass spots we have at the tournament where usually people lay down for a, for a sandwich or a drink. Mm-hmm. They they walk freely from a court to another. They even uh, got a, a better spot for their locker room because usually they are in underneath the, the centrale, and now they are in the main VIP area and they have their own terrace. So uh, I I'm, I'm sure that the players are enjoying the tension and pressure-free atmosphere. They obviously miss the, the audience. Yeah. All the matches are awkward without people uh, attending them, and that's uh, probably tennis is probably one of the uh, worst sport to be played without an audience because uh, you don't feel the atmosphere and the atmosphere is, uh, uh, to me, is a big part of the uh, of the show. But I guess they are having a, a, a nice time and 
they don't they, they can't complain yeah and one other thing they can't complain about is one of the main things everyone complains about usually during rome is the pollen in the spring i'm guessing it's not an issue now that it's september right that would be mm. yeah it's not addition at all, and I can tell you that the weather is way better than May. Usually May nights are a little bit chilly, and uh, here it's always uh, between 30 and like 26, 27, 30. Nights are uh, warm and, uh, and dry. We had uh, half an hour of rain throughout the whole week, and it's a really pleasant week to play tennis. Does it feel different also in the, ter- in the schedule? I don't know how much you can tell it this week, but that people are coming from New York that it's the first sort of clay, big clay tournament instead of being right after Madrid and after Monte Carlo for the men and after Stuttgart for the women. And, you know, does that make it feel any, any different in terms of the atmosphere there? Could you, I don't know if that's something you could sense or not. The feeling we have television-wise is that most players are here more to train than to compete. Mm-hmm. They, they don't really care for the end results of the match. Well, obviously they want to win. It's a, it's a competition. There's money involved. There's points involved. But they also want to test their condition for Roland Garros and they want to see if it makes sense uh, to have such a quick and unexpected transition. So, yeah, Yeah. you have a point there. Yeah, I mean, we see like Azarenka on the women's side who made the women's final is playing and made the quarterfinals already on the women's side and who were recording this before her match. I'm not sure how she's going to do today, but yeah, that's an impressive turnaround when the other people, I mean, Osaka already pulled out of the French Open now and team and Zverev skipped Rome. Although I will say with all the, even with all the withdrawals from Rome and Serena's not playing there, obviously, but with, even with all those withdrawals from Rome, it still probably has the stronger field in the U.S. Open by most measures. Certainly in terms of women's top 10 players, uh, there, there's more in Rome. I don't know if I'm entitled to say anything about the WTA, but I, I, what Azarenka is doing in the tournament is really, really impressive. And yeah. In terms of quality of tennis, in terms of you know being able to to come from New York and be so competitive, everyone is impressed about it. And didn't mention, but she double bageled Sophia Cannon at that tournament, so that's, yeah, right. that's pretty pretty dang impressive. So how does that work actually with with ATP and WTA production on the same site? Does it are you only working ATP matches then, or how does that get divided up? Uh, so until 2016, the graphic uh, the graphic company was the same both for WTA and ATP, uh, so they mm-hmm. had two different softwares, but it was the same company running it. Uh, in, from 2017, the WTA, they decided to go solo, and they, they hired uh, Alistair Elliott, it's a British company, and Alistair Elliott, sorry, and they have their own graphic department, and uh, so the television-wise, in the combined events, even in the slams, is always the men's TV that is in charge of shooting the event so the ATP is company ATP media that shoot the event and the WTA buy the rights of their matches from them even at the Grand Slams you said is that the same company just does the slam- well, slams are more united I guess yeah it's not going to be ATP media of course it depends on, on each slam but for instance in the in, in US Open it was ESPN producing and then uh, it, it would divide between the ATP and WTA right so in, com- in terms of the players there, obviously, one thing you mentioned on Twitter earlier this week is that players who seem to be doing well without the crowd, maybe ironically, are the Italian players. Eight Italian men in the second round of the Italian Open for the first time ever in open era, I guess, at least since it's been a big tournament. Is that right? Is that the stat? First time ever? Eight men? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So 
this has been a story we've been tracking for a long time. I think it's keeping a bigger story. Obviously, this week, the big story was Lorenzo Musetti, who's uh, last year's Australian Open boys champion, uh, who made the third round with two incredible wins over Stan Wawrinka and Kaney Shikori, which for your ter- first two wins of your career, ATP main draw, it's hard to get better than Vavrinka than Nishikori. So what what do you, what is the atmosphere like around Italian men's tennis and why why is it going so well now, do people think? Well, Italian men's tennis has been growing uh, a lot in the last five, seven years. We have the main guys, uh, Fonini, Setti, uh, Lorenzi, they are uh, about to end their career anytime soon. But, and Berrettini has established himself as the heir of those kind, those players. Berrettini managed to get a, a, a lot of uh, other players following following his path. He has a brother that uh, is Jacopo Berrettini. Jacopo Berrettini, yeah. He, he will probably be competitive in a few years. Uh, we have uh, obviously Yannick Sinner, that is the golden young Italian player uh, at the moment. We have Mosetti, that was unfortunate uh, during the Copter match. Uh, uh, he, he had an injury in his arm. And, uh, was a competitive. Uh, we have Zepieri, that is a, a really good friend of Musetti, and uh, he will uh, arrive pretty soon. We have a guy that is called Nardi, he'll arrive as well. It has um, a lot to do with the way the Federation changed the Italian approach to tennis. Before uh, the 2000, it was only clay in Italy. Clay used to have like 10, 12 tournaments on clay throughout the whole year. We have plenty of challenges. We had futures, uh, um, and there was no point for an Italian player to learn to play on art because they could build their own career, not, not only on clay, but in Italy. They didn't even have to travel much to, mm. to build their career. And now uh, the federation pushed to, they, they gave benefits to the tennis clubs to uh, move from uh, clay to art, and a lot of them did it. And so a kid got his preparation, uh, his junior preparation, on both surfaces now, and, and they managed to be competitive on both surfaces. He, you saw Berrettini against Rude, and he was clearly struggling because Rude was the better player in the rallies. He won like 60% of the baseline rallies, yeah. and Berrettini relied on his skills that he has on art, service, and a big forehand. So uh, it was weird in a sort of a way to have a Northern European player being better than an Italian on clay. But that's the transition we are having at the moment. Yeah. No, you're right. Berrettini watching that match. We just watched that match. Berrettini was really trying to play like a fast court match. He was, you know, hitting the ball big and then coming forward whenever he could. And whereas Rude was just playing a classic sort of clay topspin dirt ball game. Yeah. that I'm sure made his coaches from the Rafael Nadal Academy very proud in the stands. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. He had the he had the better preparation for the match. The I know that the ATP finals obviously are moving to. Uh, Torino next year and also there's the next gen event that's in Milan I'm not sure how much longer that's going on but it's, it's going on at least for now they have a contract for five years and they play the edition so I don't know if they're going to consider this because they're not going to play in the next gen this year right so uh, uh, I don't know if they're going to extend another year before eventually decide to change the venue or to drop the idea of, of, of the format no we'll see but then I'm curious would they ever add more ATP tour level events with all these players. I mean, I know there's a huge, robust layer of challengers, which is a big part of why there's so many. Because I remember I did a story for the New York Times on Italian men's tennis last year at the French Open. And I think back then 
there were like more Italians in the ATP top 250, I want to say, than any other country. Yes, yes, that's yeah. correct. There was a time when, when yeah. the majority was Italian. There's a, there's a tournament that has been uh, just uh, organized for this year that will take place in October in Sardinia. It's a 250, okay. but I've been told it's going to be a one-time thing, so they're not going to on tour again if everything goes back to normal. There are a lot of challenges in, challengers in Italy, especially Genova and Naples, that uh, have been uh, trying to have a spot as an ATP tournament lately, but it's difficult. You know, being a 250, you have to have a really, having people that finance the, the, the project, and uh, uh, 250 tournaments are not uh, necessarily so profitable because yeah. of the, the field that they can bring. So, tricky situation. Uh, and uh, at Monza tried to add, you know, the place where they have the Formula One. Uh, yeah, Monza, yeah, sure. Yeah, they tried to have uh, a tournament on grass, uh, hmm. but uh, Mallorca eventually prevailed. Uh, they're going to do that uh, in Mallorca. You, you mentioned the the tournament in Sardinia, and, and which is, I guess, which uh, reminds me, there's other tournaments, and there's two tournaments this year in Cologne in Germany, which yes. have popped up for the fall in the indoor swing. There's another tournament in Kazakhstan, which has shown up on the calendar. I mean, there's a lot of yes. different sort of scrambling happening this year. And obviously, we saw that this year in the WTA already this year with the Lexington tournament that showed up out of nowhere to become the first WTA turn back in the U.S. after never previously existing at tour level. So yes, it's it's yeah. a it's a way to give player a chance to to earn yeah. some money to compete. Uh, those events will probably fade away next year even if it goes back to normal because the calendar for 2021 technically is already out there and there's no space for them. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you just from your perspective, lastly, how do you, you know, the, the sort of work you do, how do you adjust to this uncertainty? What can you do from your own professional side to keep up with all these changes? Well, that, that's, a, that's a good question. It's, it's really tricky for us. We now, now, as of now, as of today, we are debating what to do for Bercy and the O2 finals because mm-hmm. with the situation going on in France, Apparently, and and also in the UK, the the, the numbers of uh, of people that contract the virus are uh, increasing. So yeah. uh, apparently now the situation is that if you work in Paris, you would you wouldn't be allowed to work in London. So the television-wise, we would have to have two completely different teams for each department for the two events, which is not the case usually. For the Master 1000, is always the same people on site. To keep a consistency in the job, to keep uh, you know yeah. a, a smooth environment, people know they each other, they know how to work together, and everything goes well. But in this situation, we would have probably to make this decision. And usually, we book we are booked like four or five months in advance, so we we know the calendar for the next six months. But here, uh, I knew about form like uh, ten days before the event. Yeah, uh, it's difficult to 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 make plans in this situation. Yeah, and we see how much things are changing constantly, even just now with the French Open this week announcing they were going to have uh, less than half of the fans they had been planning on previously. Yeah, know, exactly. Going from like 11,000 to 5,000. Yeah, so it, things are changing. And also, separately, Rome is going to have some fans on the last couple of days here now. They're planning to have what 1,000 fans each on Sunday and Monday. Is that right? And a Monday final in Rome, another weird thing. This year? Yeah, they they come up with an approval from the scientific committee, the Italian scientific committee, to have 1,000 people each session for the last two days. So there will be 2,000 on Sunday, each one 1,000 for the day session, 1,000 for the night session, and 1,000 for the final, which is uh, for the both finals, 
that are a single session. The tournament is obviously working to make sure that people don't uh, cross uh, the, their path, that they have a way in and way out. Uh, if you watch on TV and you recognize that those big gray or white dots on the seats, those are the seats that are available to use. So they, people will sit one every three seats and then there will be uh, at least a meter between uh, everyone. Uh, there are no stands at all in the venue, so there's no possible situation for a queue of people wanting to buy a Coke or a water or a sandwich or a pizza yeah. or whatever. Uh, a contact between people should be avoided and it will probably be. Uh, uh, we said yesterday that Rome is not uh, you know, a tournament that you would consider one of the less chaotic organi organization-wise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. sure. But they, they are doing a great job this, this year. Everything is working smoothly. Obviously, they don't have to look after the, the audience and the fans, so everything is a little bit easier. But uh, no one has the feeling that they are doing anything in danger or the situation should be different than it is. Than it is. is anyone talking about 2021 yet? I mean, it, I mean, because theoretically, you know, the tournament, again, is only what about eight months away from happening again so is is this is that something people are talking about already having this short turnaround or is it not even something people are imagining no, yet no no no, no. I, I i the the common feeling here is uh, and i think everywhere is uh, let's see how this fall go in the world let's see what these next three months could bring us and uh, and we go for from that we, you know with the, the uncertainty that they have in australia as, as of now yeah they, they're gonna have uh, people uh, in the stadiums in Australia, it's it's completely impossible to make any prediction for for the next future. And we 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 hope to be able to go back to the US for uh, the US swing in March. We hope to do Monte Carlo again, but as of now, it's just speculation. No, no, we really don't know anything. We don't even mention the Australian Open. We don't even know if it's going to happen at all. As much yeah, as exactly. Saying, I mean, it, with all the travel restrictions they have and how cautious they're being and everything, we really. Don't know anything, but we've gotten a few more tournaments under our belt, maybe than I, you know, expected in 2020. <laughs> yeah, definitely. With, with the U.S. and now with Rome. So, Enrico, glad to see you back on the job. Thank you very much for thank you very much redoing everything today. No and, worries. Uh, yeah. Ciao. Grazie mille. Ciao, 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 tutti. So, my huge thanks to Enrico Maria Riva for being on NCR, and again to him for having recorded with me on Friday when it got screwed up on my end, the recording, coming back on Saturday, record again. Huge, huge thanks to him. Thank you for all his insights. I know the audio wasn't ideal there. Hopefully you all could still hear it and enjoy the conversation just the same. Uh, internet capabilities in Rome are always below what you think they would be. So let's put it that way. But he, he made it work, hopefully, for us. And we want to thank you for helping us work with all your support you've given NCR through listening and especially on Patreon, where we've had continued wonderful support from people. Obviously, we had a ton of backers sign on during the U.S. Open, which was awesome. We've had one new backer since the U.S. Open named Kristen. Thank you, Kristen. That's actually, for those of you keeping track at home, two consecutive backers, both named Kristen, different Kristen. So thank you to this Kristen for joining on. And thank you also to our Patreon Slam Champ backers. We thank every episode. They are Liz Kinnell, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Trong Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Joseph Haar, Susanna W., and Antonio Maycumber, and then our three GOAT backers, Charles Cena, Mike, and J.O.D. We have some fun stuff planned for you next week. Next week is going to be the 50th anniversary of the original nine 
who kicked off women's professional tennis as we know today, or planted the seeds for it as we know today. We have interviewed one of the original nine coming up next week and hoping to do something to tee that up as well separately. And then, gosh, we get right back on the slam horse after that. The French Open draw will be coming out less than a week from now, so everything will start up again in earnest soon. And then I guess we'll be doing daily shows again from Paris. We'll see how that works. I think that will work. A little bit different challenge, different time zone. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to have in terms of access for everybody there. But if we can make it work on any level, we will. And that was fun to do during the U.S. Open. A lot of work, but fun. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that as well. And thank you for continuing to support NCR, Patreon, and whoever else. Tell your friends. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Send us emails, questions, comments, encouragements, whatever. No challenges remaining at gmail.com, also on Twitter, at NCR underscore tennis. And that'll do it. I'm missing Rome desperately this year. Missing the food, missing the people, missing the energy, missing everything. Hope that it's back to normal, as close to normal as it can be soon, because I am just in real Caccio e Pepe withdrawal, and it could be requiring some sort of medical Parmesan intervention soon. Bye, guys. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.